fistful of cash. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? You are tuned into the Fistful of Cash podcast. I am your host, Dale Lippin, in here with my co-host, my bro, my best buddy, and a degenerate gambler like myself. Soup, what's going on, man? Nothing. Uh, sitting here watching the Monday night game, uh, watching Russell Wilson get outplayed by Mitchell Trubisky so far, which is coming uh, a little bit of a surprise, but... You know, it's the NFL uh, any given Sunday, I guess, huh? Well, it's also 2018, so this yeah. is par for the course. I mean, it's it's really just sort of the way the world works anymore is you take the least likely of options and then bet the house on that because that seems to be what's happening. So Mitchell Trubisky, franchise quarterback, outplay Russell Wilson? For sure. Let's get it. I mean, that's that's the way it works, right? So far this week, that seems to be the way it worked uh, in all aspects of sports. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't even know where to begin, man. What a weekend. Um, I guess I guess we should just dive right in, yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right. So the, I, the big storyline of the weekend, at least as far as my household's concerned, the Triple G Canelo fight. Um, I've got a lot to say about this fight. So in fairness to you, if you've got something you want to say, that is like a point that you feel the need to drive home first, I'd like to give you the floor to say it because once we take the top off this thing, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to put it back on for a little bit. No, you can go ahead. Um, if there's anything that you mention that I want to jump in, I'll just do so. But, uh, okay. Yeah, you can, you can start. Okay. So here's, here's how I feel about this fight initially, right? Is that, you know, I told you ahead of time and, and I said on previous episodes that we watched and I have watched their first fight several times and I consistently score it for Triple G. I can see the argument for the draw. I cannot see the argument for a Canelo win, but I can see a Triple G win or a draw. That's it. It's the only way I see it. And I see that largely in part due to the fact that Triple G came out and fought his fight, which with complete respect, and the boxing community understands this, he came out and he normally fights like a Mexican. He walks forward, he plants his feet, he bangs, he tries to get you out of there. Canelo, although Mexican, is a counterpuncher and loves to wait for opportunities and then punish you for making mistakes. That's fine. So leading up to this fight with the clenbuterol accusations and the failed tests and all this stuff, you know, you watch the behind the scenes and all these interviews and stuff. Both of them are saying, we're going to go for the finish. There's no need for the judges, so on and so forth, which going back. And if you watch all of, you know, all the 38 previous triple G fights, 34 of them were knockouts. So if the man says he's coming in there to knock you out, you're you're immediately like, oh, shit, this guy's coming in. He's going to try to take this guy's head off. Uh, an angry Triple G sounds like the scariest thing on earth. 
or so you would think. Um, Canelo, on the other hand, says, I'm coming in there. There's not going to be any, any need for the judges. And I'm thinking it's from the standpoint of, well, I've had over a year to get better, faster, stronger, adjust to the, the upper weight, not to mention maybe I had a couple, you know, filet mignon of some tainted beef. I'm feeling a little, you know, my fast twitch muscles are twitching a little faster. The whole nine, I'm thinking, okay, you know, well, th- this is going to work out well. Hence the reason why, why I chose Triple G by knockout. Now, in my defense, four, five, and six might a little bit might been a little ambitious. However, I thought I was going to witness an angry Gennady Golovkin. So four, five, and six seems all right. And if you look at Vegas odds, those were the lowest uh, as far as lines go, aka making them the highest probability in what people were thinking he was going to where he was going to get him out at. So it wasn't that big of a stretch to say the four, five, six, or even, like I said on the previous episode, the seven, eight, nine. And he had um, Canelo hurt in the seventh. So all that's fine and good until, you know, you rewind and you go back to the first round and they come out and all of a sudden the brawler wants to be a boxer and the boxer wants to be a brawler. Canelo just started walking him down, flipped Triple G's game on its head and came at him. And one thing to me, and maybe you know, maybe you saw this too, became very apparent very quick. Canelo did not respect Triple G's power the way Triple G respected Canelo's power. Would yeah, for sure. No, okay. yeah, I mean it has to do with a lot with uh, triple triple G's go through punches, the jab, and not many boxers with those size gloves are going to get knocked down by a jab. Um, right, and you have to respect Canelo's hook and even his body shots because I mean the guy packs a serious amount of power. And and I'll give him this. I mean, he invested early on in the body work, and that's always been something that I've liked about Canelo. Um, there. I, I guess – I don't know what it is about him that I don't necessarily like, but he's not amongst my favorite fighters out there despite consistently putting on entertaining fights besides consistently coming you know, to do his job every time. Um, he just doesn't fall on my list of favorite guys to watch, and I'm not really sure how I can pinpoint that to say where that issue may or may not be. But the thing is with him – is that he came out and he executed a game plan really well. And I had said, you know, I said, I would love to see Triple G use that jab. That jab has been a laser his whole career. And he came out and he did do exactly that. And this is what brings me to my point of frustration. Canelo came out and put the pressure on him and took Triple G off his game plan. I absolutely can 100% concede that point. But... Triple G outlanded him. Total punches. He outlanded him total punches. He did not outland him total power punches, but he outlanded him total punches. Now, his punching volume came at the cost of having a lower accuracy, but he still landed more. Now, that being said, when you have these highly contentious rounds, boom, 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 where it's like, 
flip a coin, really, depending on what lens you're viewing it through, uh, how do you rate these or how do you score these rounds? And it becomes frustrating to me as a boxing fan whenever two guys are going out there to play a game of punch face where I'm going to punch you in the face, you're going to punch me in the face, and one of us goes to sleep, the other person wins, or the time constraint comes in the fact that if I can punch you in the face more than you can punch me in the face in the 36 minutes that were allotted, I should win the fight. It's not my fault that I come out there and I throw a thousand punches or 1200 punches. If I hit you 600 times and you come out there and you throw 800 punches and hit me 400 times, I should win that fight. And then you you say, all right, well, what, what about damage, Dale? Well, Triple G did more damage. He got cut in the last round. But prior to that, I think it was like the fourth round when Canelo got his cut, which credit to his cut, man, he kept that thing under control the entire fight. But the damage was there. So I don't I don't know how you score it 7-5 towards Canelo. You right. and I were talking during a fight, and I, th- I thought a draw at best. And to go on your point where you said that uh... – you know, everybody says Canelo controlled the pace of this fight because he walked Triple G down and he controlled the center of the ring. Is is throwing more punches and landing more punches not controlling pace in its own way? I mean, it can be, but this this and this is what I'm going to say this, and this is going to lead me to another point. Um, so you have to stop me in between if you want to interject on this. Is that the broadcast team kept talking about Canelo's winning the story of the fight. Right. He's winning the story. And, and that and that story is, is him coming out there and throwing Triple G off of his game and turning it into a brawl and sort of winning the crowd over. And that's all well and good. But that is not a measurable metric in which you can use to win the fight. Fighting, especially like this, should be based upon punches, landed, damage, done ring control that's what it should be based upon not because you come out there and you're some rudy story that means nothing to me what means something to me is that you come out there and you are able to inflict more bodily harm more readily than your opponent that's how you win a fight that's how you train to win a fight the only person that doesn't train to win a fight like that is floyd mayweather that's it Everybody else, their whole goal is to, I'm going to come out there and try to hit him more than he hits me. Mayweather's the only person that comes out and says, I'm going to win this fight by not being hit. That's it. Everybody else says, I got to hit him more than he hits me. That's all. So that story of the fight bullshit is exactly that. It's bullshit. And I don't agree with it at all. And I think that's one of the big reasons why Canelo was awarded that fight and he was gifted it because it was a draw at at worst and a glove can win at best. I mean, that's, it's crazy to me. You good. I'm good. I just need a second. <laughs> I'm good. No. And, and here's the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to leave with this point. Okay. And I don't know if I'm the first person to ever come up with this. And if somebody else did, that's fine. Give them credit for it. I don't care. But I think that boxing judging should be done in a separate room 
on closed circuit TV. They should have those three judges in three separate rooms watching the fight on closed circuit TV so they can see the best angles to see the most pure form of the fight itself without the interjection of the environment of the arena. Because every time that Canelo landed a punch, there was this huge pop in the crowd, whether it was blocked or not. He would land a punch, there'd be this big pop. Now, if you're a judge and you happen to be positioned on the ring where your back or where the fighter's back is to you, say Triple G's back is to you, and Canelo throws a punch and it's blocked, right? But you hear the crowd pop. What is your it's it's an animal reaction. You can't even help it. You're not saying to yourself, oh, but that appeared to be blocked. In your mind, that's registering as, ooh, that was an effective, that was an effective punch. Right? So how do you eliminate that? You put these people outside of where they can be influenced by the environment, put them on closed circuit TV so they can see it. And then here's the kicker. Here's the kicker soup. You do live round by round judging. So that way, when it's round number 11 and you've been scoring this incorrectly the whole time, Abel Sanchez can look to him and go, listen, Gennetti, we're down two rounds despite the fact that you've been beating the shit out of this guy. I need you to pick it up for the next six minutes. I need you to tear after this guy because if you don't, we're going to lose this fight. It keeps guys from at the very end raising their hands up in the air in victory going, oh, I think I won this fight, and then suffering heartbreak in front of millions of people whenever you get a decision wrong like you did on this. I'm pretty sure Triple G would have wanted to know that the fight was being scored as ridiculous as it was going into 10, 11, and 12, which were arguably the best rounds of the fight and arguably the best fight of the year. That's all I'm going to say about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm mad. I just, you say something while I take a drink of my beer. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn. Uh, we'll switch sports. Uh, I know we're <laughs> going to cover the uh, Mark Hunt thing here in a little oh, bit. I know yeah. you've got, you know, s- s- some stuff to talk about with that. But um, boy, did the Patriots' defense look bad. Yeah. Uh, so z- zero sacks. Two quarterback pressures in an entire game against Blake Bortles. When they're, you know, when Cam Robinson went down with a torn ACL, we still couldn't get any pressure on him. I get Trey Flowers, the best pass rusher on New England, went out with a concussion, <clears throat> but that's no excuse. You still have Dunta Hightower. Um, you you still have, uh, you still have uh, Kyle Van Noy. You still got Jason McCourty. You still have Devin McCourty, who plays up on the line a lot as a safety. You still have Dietrich Wise. Um, they it was nothing, and they leave it to them to make Blake Bortles and Nick Foles look like Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's it's honestly incredible to me. Um, Brady I think Blake did. Blake Bortles will be in the Hall of Fame one day. Yeah. Right. Okay. Brady did his job, 240 yards, two touchdowns, uh, like a 107 passer rating. Sony Michelle was extremely disappointing. Um, out or didn't run the right route twice. Um, only like three yards of carry on the ground. This Jacksonville defense is the best I've seen in a long time. In a very, I mean, I think it's better than Denver's defense when they won the Super Bowl. It's better than the Legion of Boom. 
Um, but what do you do when your defense is miserable? You stack the offense. So what did New England do today? They went out and traded oh. a fifth rounder for Josh right. Gordon. <laughs> right, which which Cleveland, hats off to you because just when I think your front office can't get any worse than it already is, you go and execute one of – I mean, just, you know what it's like? It's almost like if one of those Nigerian Prince email scams were real where it's like, Sir, if you just send me $250, I'll give you a portion of $250 million just so I can process this. They literally paid shipping and handling for a Pro Bowl receiver is what just happened. Right. A, so a fifth-round draft. I mean, that's, that's, it's, just, it's ridiculous. What is wrong with Cleveland? I mean, what? The uh, I mean, there's, risk, a, there's a list, but still. The only risk of trading for this guy is the potential of him being suspended. So New England works a contingency where if Josh Gordon is not active for 10 games, which if he were to get suspended, he would not be active for 10 games because he won't be active this weekend. That's three games in. And then if he misses four games due to suspension, that's seven games, which means he'd only be active for nine. Then they get a sixth round pick back. So they could have him for nine games and only give up a fifth rounder for a sixth rounder. And right. have him under contract as a restricted free agent at the end of the year if they do decide to keep him. It's just wild to me. It, 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 I, I just don't understand it. And, you know, I, I guess I understand poor management and, and front office skills, you know, being from the Pittsburgh area and dealing with the Pirates for years. But, I mean, you got to – you know what? I'm not going to say it because it's Cleveland and I don't like Cleveland at all. But you, one could understand how someone could feel bad for the people of Cleveland having that, that, that team run the way that it is, having a team can continue to invest in a coach like Hugh Jackson, to have a team continue to make the draft choices that they make outside of big game Baker, uh, the exclusion right there. And just who's not proven at all, but okay. who's not proven at all. <laughs> Listen, I, the, the kid's a stud. The kid is a stud. I don't you will go back in previous episodes where you've said the same thing. He looks like a stud. We'll see what he looks like whenever it's, you know, proving time. But right at eyeball test, the, the kid looks like he can be. Listen, if Mitchell Trubisky is a starter in the league, there's a home for Baker Mayfield somewhere. And whether it's Cleveland or not, that's all I'm saying. And that being said, you know, having a game like the Cleveland uh, New Orleans game where it was just, I don't know, just bumbling personified. Um, Cleveland played well, New England, or not New England, I'm sorry, New Orleans did not, and they still couldn't win because it brings us to one of the big storylines of the weekend, which also segues into our Vikings pick on the show, horrible kicking. Zane Gonzalez, uh, as a surprise to no one, is unemployed today. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Yes, I did see that. Oh, my Uh, gosh. Yeah, you got to feel for the kid. Uh, it, it, kickers are the biggest head cases in football. Everybody knows that. Uh, they missed two, and it's just a downward spiral from there. We saw it in Pittsburgh a couple years ago with uh, with Sean Sweezum. Um, I, even though he's in a slump right now, 
um, Chris Boswell, the Steelers kicker. I I think he'll break out. He's a good enough kicker. Um, but yes, the kicking was horrendous. Uh, Goskowski missed a 54 yarder by about 54 yards to the right. Um, we saw a couple extra points missed. Um, bunch of field goals missed. It was 19 I, total kicks that were missed throughout uh, the week. 19. I, I wasn't even watching the uh, Rams Cardinals game, but I do have Todd Gurley on my fantasy team. So I saw Todd Gurley got, you know, got a two point conversion. I'm like, oh, okay, the Rams are rubbing this in. And then he got another one and I'm like, okay, what are they doing here? And then they threw another two point conversion and I'm like, okay, the Rams understand kickers are having a rough week. They're just going to lay off the kicking and go for two point conversions. Well, Greg Zerline, um, Legatron actually got hurt before the game, so they didn't have a kicker. So that's why they were going for two. But uh, first thought that came into my head was, yeah, there were 19 missed kicks. You know, the Rams aren't going to take their chance here. Right. And then, you know, going, like I said, alluding to the, the Vikings Packers game, which uh, we, we, we hit, um, the Vikings let, let go their guy today and uh, signed Dan Bailey. So, Which I can't believe he was a free agent. Dan Bailey's got an absolute monster of a leg. Um, tell that to one, Dallas. They didn't think so. It, well, because he went into a slump. But at one point, he was the most accurate kicker in NFL history with at least right. with a, how many ever attempts the criteria is. But he was above Goskowski as the most accurate kicker in NFL history. Um, he hit his slump, and they didn't want to pay him what he wanted paid. And the rest is history. Now, you know, I think this will solve Minnesota's uh, kicking woes over the past five years that they've had because they've gone through some uh, some pretty tough times with kickers. And I think Dan Bailey, you know, as crazy it is that we're talking about a kicker headline, I think Dan Bailey is going to be the answer to their problems. I hope so. Um, you know, I, like I said, well, we hit that game. That's fine. Uh, you know, and we hit yeah, it on the time. But, half. Right. I mean, it's it's, but it's nerve wracking to hit on a tie. I would have much rather old buddy nail that kick. I don't know why I can't remember his name. I don't. Um, it eludes me. But anyway, For Minnesota. Um, yeah, Carlson. Carlson. That's. I knew it was something Minnesota yet sounding. Bad, um, uh, real quick, bad radius. Uh, side note between you and I, uh, Chicago just got their fourth sack. Excellent. Excellent. So. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's – the kicking is is one thing. Um, so switching over to just going over our show picks real quick. We got the Triple G Canelo fight wrong. Um, we hit on, on Minnesota and Green Bay. We missed New England, but we hit both college games. So what are some big takeaways you had? college football week three um notre dame is exactly who i said notre dame was uh not a good passing team they run the ball they've played great defense they got they squeaked out a win against vanderbilt vanderbilt played a lot better than i thought they would but notre dame sticking to it anywhere between 21 and 30 points and then just play good defense and hold them under um the so we we did futures to start this podcast. Yes, um, this is funny to me. Um, we decided to play the Nebraska under six and a half, and I was very um, very persistent about 
how I thought this was the best future play of the year, how Nebraska under six and a half with, the, my opinion, the hardest schedule in college football, um, how I thought that under was going to be golden. There were games that they were supposed to win. Um, and then there's, you know, they've got at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, at Michigan. They've got to play Iowa. You know, they've got their tough schedule. But boy, did I, you know, I didn't expect them to start the year off own two. Uh, including a meltdown in their first game and then a loss to Troy. Um, to the story that I think is funny, um, my bookie actually texted me tonight and said, hey, do you just want me to credit you your money now or at the end of the college season? And I texted him back and I said, what are you talking about? And he said, good call on Nebraska's under six and a half. They are miserable. <laughs> so two games in, I've already, uh, I've already got it. He's, he's trying to pay me out, but I told him just to wait it out. Yeah, make make them sweat it. Um, right. Yeah, I mean that's they are just awful. Um, and I, you know, it's one of those things too, though, that we said that it's gonna t- it's just gonna take a while for that system to come into play and those guys to get on board and buy in and everything else. But man, do they suck right now? Um, well, what, sorry, was, one more on the future. Um, our future bet on the Heisman winner, Haskins is the truth. Yeah. That kid is legit. He's rising, uh, rising quickly. Um, I think the new Heisman rankings will come out tomorrow. I know this is early in the season. I think Saquon was a leader all year last year until he had one bad game. But um, Will Greer, number one, who we took West Virginia to win that conference. Um, Tua was number two, but with him splitting time with Jalen Hurts, his stats are dropping. And Haskins is just putting up ridiculous numbers. Um, I'm projecting Haskins to be probably two or three. Um, so a 20 to one guy ending up, you know, three weeks in being number two or three on the, on the Heisman rankings. That is pretty promising in my eyes. Yeah. And, and you know, you could probably still get on depending on what book you use and still get a decent number on those. I mean, you're not going to, obviously if he's number two or three, you're not going to get 20 to one, but you can still get a decent number. Um, probably not going to be able to find the Nebraska anywhere. Um, but I know for a fact, you'll be able to find West Virginia. Um, so that, you know, those that are new to the program and haven't listened, you know, haven't decided to go back and listen to our older episodes, which I don't blame you one bit. Cause you know, this is a podcast based on relevancy. Um, you know, with those, with those bets in mind, uh, you know, you could probably still go on a book and find those somewhere, but he, you know, this wasn't one of our Patreon picks and this wasn't one of, you know, a, a thing that we put on the, the show, but this was just sort of something that I was dealing with. Um, just sort of doing on, on my own. I took LSU outright and I got to ask you, is LSU a contender? Yeah. Yes, they are. Um, I did not expect them to be this good. LSU's biggest problem has been their offense um, in recent years, particularly quarterback play. Um, but they brought in Joe Burrow, uh, the Ohio State transfer, and the kid's good, man. He, you know, he doesn't make dumb plays downfield. Um, He's not a huge volume passer. They still run the ball a lot. That's still LSU. That's what they do. They run the ball and play defense. But 
when it comes to when it comes to SEC football, you don't you know it's not huge quarterback play. SEC teams play a lot like NFL teams. So if you can pull out a game managing quarterback who's going to get you you know two touchdowns a game and not turn the ball over, which is exactly what Joe Burrow is doing. He hasn't he doesn't have an interception yet, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think LSU's a threat. I mean, the SEC is really. I thought it was a two horse race between um, Alabama and Georgia for sure, but uh, they definitely have to worry about Auburn, who still is legit. I mean, they put up a great fight and you know lost on a game winning field goal to LSU, and LSU who mollywopped Miami and then you know beat Auburn and they're. They're no joke. I mean, the SEC is shaping up, and it's tough, man. Bama's got a tough game this weekend in Texas A&M. So there's a lot of good teams. And, to you know, I, I know I went on, but, yes, SEC is a – or uh, LSU is a contender for sure. No, I'm with you on that, and I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I think that the SEC is a lot closer of a race than people are giving it credit for. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm just talking to the wrong circles of people. Um, but, you know, I – I I think that with LSU's emergence, um, and that's that's to take nothing away from Georgia and Alabama. It's not like they're playing bad football. Um, it's just whenever somebody starts, you see light start sneaking through the cracks a little bit, and you start seeing these teams that were good, then they had some down years and they come back and then, you know, are they back for real? Is this really a contender or is this something we should be, be paying attention to? And then, you know, they, they get a couple big W's and you're like, Oh, okay. This I, is somebody I, that, that needs my attention. I guess I should say the sec West um, okay. is, is the contention. I sec East Georgia's going to run away with that. Uh, Florida sucks. Kentucky sucks. Like the sec, sec East Georgia will win that and they will play in the SEC championship. The SEC West in the top 25, you've got Bama at one. You've got LSU at six. You've got Auburn at nine. Um, you've got Mississippi State at 14. You've got Texas A&M at 22. So the SEC West, if they're pumping out four top 25 teams and it's not, they aren't top 25 teams because college football is SEC bias. They are top 25 teams because they are four of the 25 best teams in the country. Yeah. Simple as that. Now, A&M, will they probably drop out of the top 25 this week? Yes, because they do have to play Alabama. Um, but – or I'm sorry. No, A&M just played Alabama. Yeah, I'm wrong. A&M just played Alabama and lost Alabama, and they're still in the top right. 25. My apologies. No, you're good. And I, it just, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at this is that, you know, Lord help anybody that sleeps on Mississippi state. Um, I mean, we're, you know, we're paying a lot of attention to these other teams and, um, Lord help anybody that sleeps on Mississippi state. And a, a little side note, Wisconsin needs to go back to the drawing board and figure some stuff out. Oh, they did not, they did not look good. Yeah. They're, uh, their chances at the playoffs are a wrap. There's no way about it. You you lose a game in that side of the Big Ten, you're not making the college football playoffs. Right. And uh, A&M plays Alabama this weekend. A&M just played Clemson this last weekend. So they have Clemson and Alabama back-to-back weekends. Um, 
good scheduling on your part, Jimbo Fisher. Really trying to make a statement, but you're going to take back-to-back L's. Even though A&M really did pay, uh, play Clemson competitively. Um, but yes, so A&M, Alabama this weekend. That's the biggest game of the weekend. Um, should be fun. I expect Tua to do Tua things. Um, he's going to put up, you know, 200 yards and three touchdowns in the first half probably. But uh, yeah, um, Wisconsin, that was, you know, good for BYU. Um, BYU made me a lot of money two years ago when Jamal Williams was there. Those 1030 games get bored late on a Saturday night, throw some money right. on Jamal Williams and BYU to cover the spread. But uh, yeah, it's just a college football is really shaping up and you can tell who the contenders are and who they are, who aren't. Um, and Ohio state, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, they are what we thought they were to put it in right. uh, Dennis Green's words. Yeah. So, all right. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I want to talk, I want to talk about the Mark Hunt fight. Okay. Um, the UFC fight night, Moscow, um, we had alluded to this on Friday's show that I was going to provide picks, pick a pick or two, something like that, for the the upcoming UFC event, which was a fight pass only event. I don't anticipate, unless you're like a really hardcore MMA fan, I don't anticipate a lot of people watching those. Um, there was a whole lot on that card to avoid. We covered this on our patreon picks which are on our patreon page so the first order of business in regards to that is to announce that we are done arguing with patreon um and that we have been deemed content suitable for everybody uh you know we're no longer adult content so if you can't remember the url of patreon.com forward slash fistful of cash you can just go to Patreon, find the little search thing at the top and type in fistful of cash and we'll show up, which is a big win for us. Um, so I'm glad that that's settled. That being said, the Mark Hunt fight and breakdown was on the Patreon picks. Oh, I have some thoughts about this and they're not good. So my initial pick for the breakdown of that fight was Mark Hunt by KO. And then I added as a little fun prop bet, have the fight finish inside two rounds. Okay. No big deal. Some more cunt fight. That's, you know, you'll make a little bit of money on it. You won't make a ton. So more cunt fast forward. Um, all week long appears to be Mark Huntish. For those of you who don't know what he looks like, he's five foot 11, maybe 10. And has to cut weight. 35 pounds. Has to cut weight to make the 265 limit. He's a big, giant Samoan dude, right? He's a giant Samoan. So, you know, you can't say that Mark Hunt looks healthy or unhealthy. He just looks like Mark Hunt. He looks like a big old Samoan. So, you know, you watch open workouts and he's out of breath. Of course he's out of breath. He's five foot 10, 265 pounds. But he hits like a Mack truck, and he can fight and has fought five rounds before, shockingly. But he does. So you don't think anything of it. And I continue to think that as long as he can stay mobile enough and hit Alexi Olenek enough early, this fight will not be a problem. 
right? So fast forward to three o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. I got the TV up. I'm watching Fight Pass. Mark Hunt walks out and his right arm looks like they just took it out of a sling. And I immediately go into panic and I'm texting you and I'm calling, you know, my buddy and I'm just, I'm freaking out. What is wrong with his arm? So then he goes down to the check-in station or whatever, and it looks like they have his arm wrapped in saran wrap, like he just got a fresh tattoo or something. And underneath said liquid bandage saran wrap thing is one of the biggest staph infections I've ever seen in my entire life. So Mark Hunt is getting ready to fight in a UFC main event at 5'11", 265 pounds with a staph infection in his arm. Oh, what arm is it? Oh, it's his right arm. Oh, is Mark Hunt left-handed? No, no, he's right. So in his in his power hand uh, or power arm area, he's got a staph infection the size of a softball in his elbow. The guy's been on antibiotics. I'm sure you've taken antibiotics before. Did you have the energy to fight when you were on antibiotics? Absolutely not. Okay, so if you were 265 pounds and on antibiotics, do you think you'd have the energy to fight? No, of course not. And you dang sure wouldn't be going out there and throwing that right hand around. What bootleg athletic association? And I realized by saying that, I just said it's the Russian athletic association, which is the definition of bootleg allows a guy to fight with a basically an open staff infection. Why do you not cancel that fight? Why? Why? How, how was he able and allowed to walk out to the octagon with that staph infection, whether he was on antibiotics or not, how do you let that happen? Now I know that Kevin Lee fought for an interim belt with Tony Ferguson with a staph infection on his chest, but it was not near the size and it was not near the level of, uh, of, of festuance that this one was. It's unbelievable that they let this guy walk out. And the only reason why they did it was the same reason why they let Brock Lesnar come back and fight Mark Hunt at UFC 200 because it was too late to make a change and they wanted to keep the event intact. Because if you cancel that main event in front of what turned out to be the fifth largest crowd in UFC history on one, two days notice, try to come up with a new main event, you'd never be able to do it. You'd never be able to do it. And you'd essentially slam the door on UFC Russia. So they let him fight. But they hid it from everybody. So I feel duped. If you if you bet on Mark Hunt, Patreon supporter or not, you should feel duped because they let a guy that was sick, under the weather, and infected come out there and fight a fight. I'm so disgusted by this. Not and I'm not even talking about the staff infection. Staff infections are disgusting and potentially fatal. Um, you know, Robert Whitaker almost died because he had a staph infection in his stomach and they let Mark Hunt go out and fight with one. That is absurd to me. Am I, am I, am I projecting correctly how upsettingly just ridiculous this is? Am I, am I getting, okay. You are. And I just, uh, um, a quick read from our, uh, Saturday text messages. Uh, Saturday at 3.51, I text you. I said, it's Mark Hunt time. You said, yeah, he just walked out. And then you said, he looks hurt. He's holding his arm super weird. 
I said, yeah, his line went from a minus 140 to a pick him before the fight. You said, yeah, someone knew about his arm. Damn it. He's holding it like it should be in a sling. He's going to fight this dude one-armed. And then after the, you know, the end of the fight, you said he lost. This is so bogus. Oh, my God, it's a staph infection. I can't believe they let him fight with a staph infection. And I, I don't – I mean I don't know another way to put it. It's just it's – just, um, I'm upset as a fan. Uh, you know, I'll sound real preachy here. I'm, a, I'm upset as a human being. How do you let a guy too tough for his own good go out there and get punched in the face um, with a staph infection like that? No, full well, he's, he's hindering his, his abilities to, to protect himself. And, you know, if, if it wasn't clear by my discuss at this point, Mark Hunt did not win this fight. Um, the epic chin of Mark Hunt appears to be somewhat gone. He got rattled by a punch that should not and normally ever rattled him. And then Alexi Olenek, whose nickname is the boa constrictor, easily took Mark Hunt's back, which, of course, was the one thing that he could, couldn't let happen. But he, who has the energy to fight another 245-pound man off of them with a staph infection? And he just grabbed the hold of his neck and strangled him. So I, I just – I'm grossed out by this weekend. Um, I'm glad we hit on the things we hit. But the stuff we missed, I guess I, may, I maybe I take it to heart a little bit more as a – as a guy who dedicates himself as both fan and, and more to fighting, it just, it just pisses me off, man. I hate there's glaring issues in combat sports and I hate when they get exploited like this and it bums me out, but we had a good weekend and I'll take it. So I'll, I'll take it for what it is. I'm bummed out about certain things, but I'm happy overall. So that's all I'm saying about fights. Anybody else wants to talk about fights, I'll engage you on Twitter or Instagram or email, but I'm not no more no more airtime dedicated to these two fights. Yeah. I'm too mad about it. Um to you know, the exact opposite of not canceling the Mark Hunt fight. Uh did you see that Eric Anders took six days notice and is fighting this weekend? Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, against Maheta too. Yeah. Now I'm, I want to say something about this. And the 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 fight of the year got announced a couple weeks ago, and I don't I can't remember whether we covered it or not. Dan Hooker versus Edson Barboza, gonna be the best fight of the year. I'm so excited for it, I can't stand it. But um, anyway, this upcoming this upcoming weekend, fantastic fight card. Eric Anders six days notice. Eric Anders did not look good against Tim Williams. Maheta did not look good against um, I can't remember that cat's name. Anyway, neither one of them looked good in their last fight. It'll be interesting to see. Um, Mahetta's prone to knockouts, power punchers, David branch slept them. Eric Anders hits hard and really that's about it. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm probably going to avoid that fight. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that, that I'm going to, I'll have to see what the line is. Um, I'll have to, I'm going to, I'll see what the line is on that fight. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, how I'm leaning on that, but Eric Anders is a big boy, cuts a lot of weight to make 185. If they're going to keep it at 185 or let those guys fight at 205, I'm not too sure, but we'll see. It's a good fight, though. That whole card's stacked, man. There's a lot of good fights on that card. Um, and as far as like, you know, fighters, fighters, or fighters, 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 the Fox, or no, I'm sorry, the uh, the Fight Pass prelims for that card are better in my opinion than the prelims that are going to be on Fox sports one. But that's that. I mean, we're talking about some straight rumblers, but that's, that's me. So, um, I really don't have 
much else to go over. Um, you know, we made it through the storm unscathed. Um, want to give a, a, a shout out real quick to our show sponsors. Check your mate investigations. Like I said before, guys, if you need anything private investigation related between uh, anything related with your spouse, kids, missing persons, welfare checks, anything like that, uh, check the guys out at Check Your Mate Investigations. They do a bang up job. Um, friends of the program, and we appreciate all their support and what they provide us for uh, provided for us thus far. That's check hyphen your hyphen mate.com. Also big shout out to the custom intro ancient awaken. Uh, if you guys need anything as far as audio, uh, production is concerned, his uh, contact info will be in our show notes as well. Outside of that soup, it was a, it was a decent weekend. I wasn't affected by the hurricane. I got my health, uh, not quite the wealth I want, but I got enough bills are paid. So I'm pretty happy. Uh, I really don't, I don't really have much else for the Tuesday touchback. Um, one thing, um, a shout out to one of our listeners, Drew, a fellow degenerate of ours. Um, <laughs> he took the, uh, I think the longest field goal was what, over 44 and a half tonight. And, uh, he let us know that that was his degenerate play tonight. And with two seconds left on the clock before the half, the Polish cannon, Sebastian Janikowski, just rifled a 55-yarder right through the post. So uh, good hit on that, Drew. Uh, I like the degenerate play. Um, so, you know, let's, let's keep making this money. I, l- I like it a lot, too. And for more degenerate plays, you guys got to follow us on Instagram. Uh, it's not completely uncommon to see something wild like that pop up. Uh, not necessarily stuff that we're backing with the full power of the fistful of cash show, but some stuff out there that could definitely make some people some money. Uh, if it hits, it's not always the most, um, what's the best way to put this logical. It's there you go. <laughs> it's not always the most logical plays, but there are plays out there. And if they do hit, they can make some money. So, uh, yeah, shout out to drew on that one way to hit that, man. That was, that's a, that's a good call. A good degenerate play for sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's really all I got. We'll see you guys on Friday. Yep. And uh, th- this was this last week was our biggest week yet. And uh, that would not be possible without you guys. And we thank and appreciate you. I know we're running over, but I want to spend that little extra 30 seconds and say thank you. Appreciate you. Humbled, truly humbled by the, the support that this show's gotten. Uh, you know, we're getting feedback and have – actually had listeners in 10 different countries around the world, which is just, you know, at the risk of sounding corny, man, that's not something that I imagine this, this show would do uh, anytime soon, but here we are two months in 10 countries around the world, just wild and humbly, humbly. Thank you guys. This community has been fantastic so far. Absolutely guys. Uh, Keep spreading the word so we can uh, spread the wealth around as always. Uh, we here at the Fistful Cash Podcast like to say, clear eyes, full fist, can't lose. <laughs> can't lose. Take care, guys. Till Friday. <laughs>